Hello and welcome to another episode of the Baltic Triangle podcast with me, Mark Reeson. And me, Mick Ord. So Mick, another packed episode. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. No, I won't. Why aren't you wearing your mask? Well, to be fair, Mick, I am still wearing a mask if I'm out and about shopping and stuff like that. Yeah, like on the train this morning, I didn't have my mask on. And then when I got on the train, there were quite a few people wearing them. So I, I took mine out of my back, my back pocket and then was wearing it. And, and that seems to be into my attitude. I, my attitude, I always take one around with me. And then when I go to a place where a lot of people are wearing them, I tend to put it on. And then I went to one pub the other week and no one was wearing one. So I immediately put mine on. It's, it's still a bit random. I still feel we're in sort of um, that weird grey period, that weird limbo um, after lockdown, we shall see. Do you not wear one at all now, ever? I do wear one on the train. I wear one on public transport. I wouldn't say it's a habit, but I certainly think, you know, I'm, I'm probably doing it as much for other people as I'm doing it for myself. Um, but again, you know, I, I've, you know, I've COVID tested regular basis. Um, I'm out and about all the time. I think we've got to try and have a different attitude to it, but be sensible with it as well, because, you know, it's not gone away. So um, it's still around. Um, so Mick, football's back. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And I went to the match recently um, and I took my mask, but I didn't wear it. So we shall see. We shall see what happens. So let's get straight into it then, Mick. In this episode, we've been talking to the MD of Baltic Creative, Mark Lawler, and hearing about the exciting plans to roll out the Baltic model to other parts of the region. That's a huge opportunity for us to lead and for us to be seen as exemplar across the UK, actually. And of course, on a smaller scale here at Baltic Creative, the work that we've done is recognised internationally with our European partners, one of one of the exemplar projects in the European Creative Hubs Network. We can absolutely lead the way as a region. And I've been speaking to James Corbett, who's the author of an acclaimed new novel, Um, mainly set in the Liverpool of the 1980s when James was a young man in the city during what were very difficult economic and social times. Having grown up here in the 1980s and 1990s, I know that there wasn't a great deal here in terms of economic life and I was of the generation that sort of had had to leave the city in order to make my way in the world and make my career and so on. But I also wanted to write about the city's renaissance since the start of this century and its reinvention as a a world-class destination. If you can imagine Liverpool as being this very complicated and multi-layered canvas on which what is essentially a part love story and part historical mystery is written, that's, that's, that's the basis for the book, The Outsiders. James Corbett there. We'll be hearing a bit more from James in a little bit. So Mick, tell us all about our friends at Baltic Broadband. Yes, uh, Baltic Broadband Limited, based in Liverpool, are our main partners and they provide ultra-fast internet services for businesses, businesses only, with speeds from 100 megabytes to 2 gigabytes upload and download. I'll tell you a little bit more about them a bit later as well. Baltic Creative is home to 180 companies with over 650 people working from here on a regular basis. Mark Lawler was in the very first episode of the Baltic Triangle podcast, and I asked him to give us an update on the vision for the Baltic since we last spoke to him way back at the beginning of 2019. We've seen the area continue to grow, of course, in terms of the Baltic Triangle. The plans for the area uh, have been crystallised in a a vision manifesto that we launched just at the end of 2019. 
and that defines it as a place uh, still for creative and digital and independent Liverpool businesses. And in addition to that, of course, it references the infrastructure work that needs to happen, uh, the reopening of stations and, you know, the infrastructure into uh, the public realm across the area as well over the next few years. Uh, not least referencing the need for us to improve commercial space for, for more businesses as they move in, as well as better and more varied options for people to live in the area. So we've had a great 10 years. I think, I think that vision that we launched just prior to COVID, you know, articulates what, what will be a, 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 you know, a fantastic um, next 10 years. But of course, we've now got to think about um, the implications of COVID on those plans as we move forward. So you've mentioned COVID there, Mark. Talk to me about the impact of COVID on the community here in the Baltic and, and what measures have you put in place to help cope with it? We at Baltic Creative, you know, we work with about 170, 180 companies. Um, there's about 650 people employed. So the implications for our community directly were quite drastic in some instances. You know, some of the venues and cafes, of course, had to close completely. And whilst the government guidance initially was um, you must stay at home and, and and work from home. Of course, what we had to do was to sort of respond from that for the rest of the businesses and try and provide support, which we did, me and my team. We have a small team of Baltic Creative, six of us. And then we got busy online, really, provide as much support as we could. Not only business support, grants advice, financial support in terms of ensuring that our businesses were, uh, were able to retain their space and keep their space, uh, but also sort of health and wellbeing support. You know, it was a really difficult period, hasn't it, the last 12, 18 months and continues to be so for a lot of people. So, you know, that, that programme of sort of health and well-being where we took all of that support online has been, has been re- really great. Um, we recently just signed a deal with um, one of our tenants here, MindMap, uh, who, who Phil and his, his guys there do a fantastic job. So uh, we've got, we, we're taking some of the stuff that we've done through COVID and, and, and we're committing to deliver that into the future now as well. So... Big challenges for our businesses at Baltic Creative, but we've weathered the storm and we're coming through. We're coming through all of that, I think, uh, in a really positive way, actually. And hopefully, we'll see more of that as uh, as we go through towards the end of the year. But big challenges, hasn't it, this year? It certainly has been. A lot of people, Mark, have taken this opportunity to to take a really good, long, hard look at uh, the strategic work that they've been doing around their businesses. Talk to me a little bit about whether or not that's been something you've been looking at as well. Towards the end of 2019, we, we launched the uh, you know the 10-year vision manifesto for the Baltic Triangle Area Company. But around the same time as well, Baltic Creative, um, you know, we launched our plans for the next five years, which we're talking about um, you know developing our footprint here in Baltic, but also across the wider city region to support uh, what we've seen over the last three or four years. We've seen the emergence of a group of clusters who are actually not competing with each other. They're, they're supportive of each other. So we've supported the guys down in Fabric District, them setting up their CIC around textiles and fabric. So the emergence of that place has been brilliant to see over the last few years. The activity that's now happening in the North Liverpool around 10 streets, I always refer to that as like big art, big installation art, some fantastic businesses and spaces there, uh, support culture in Liverpool particularly. And then, you know, places like Birkenhead have emerged just recently. Amazing activity going on over there with, with a range of different um, people who've, who we've worked with here in Baltic over the years. 
And then other places, you know, we've, we're working in Southport, where Baltic Creative is likely to launch a new space uh, in the next 12 months, we hope, the first outside of the Baltic Triangle. So that's really exciting. We're working uh, with Sefton Council there and a, and a range of businesses and partners there to make that happen, including Southport College. And then uh, other places, Runcorn and North Liverpool, uh, Bootle, um, various areas really o- o- over the re- around the region where we've seen a, a, a group of people in those places you know, harness creative talent and harness sort of creative and digital um, activity for the for for the benefit of that area, really. And and of course, we at Baltic Creative exist to support the growth of creative and digital industries. So we can take what we do to other parts of the city region. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to see these emerging clusters grow. Uh, one of the big things that we've been involved in over the last six or seven years. We've been part of um, an organization called the European Creative Hubs Network. And this is about 40, 45 creative hubs and clusters across Europe who come together on a regular basis every month. And we act as a, um, as a support network for each other, um, you know, learning from each other's mistakes, understanding the challenges that each of these hubs and clusters face. And of course, through the pandemic and through COVID, uh, it's been fascinating to, to have those monthly discussions with organisations across Europe to see how they're dealing with COVID and dealing with the challenges. And it's been brilliant, actually. We, we've been a really supportive network of each other. And that's what I see for the hubs and clusters across the Liverpool City region. I do think there's a real opportunity to uh, support these emerging clusters over the next five, ten years and actually recognise they, they are different. They are of their own place. And they can be supportive of each other. Uh, they're not competing with each other. They have their own identity. So I'm really excited about that piece of work. And we're picking that conversation up now with our partners in the city and the city region. So it's a really exciting period, actually, I think, over the next 12, 18 months. Because if we can develop a strategy to support these hubs and clusters, um, I think there's a huge opportunity to see growth and the jobs that we want to see for the young people of Liverpool. So what else can we expect to see going forward from, from, from that original manifesto pledge? Yeah, so uh, wrapped up in, in, the, in the manifesto is four key themes, really. Um, it's around art, it's around property in place, it's around infrastructure, not just physical infrastructure, but also business infrastructure. And then the last one is around venues uh, and events. And they're the four key strands that run through the manifesto for the Baltic Triangle Area Company. And I think because of the way that the, the, the sector operates, the way the businesses operate uh, in, in, in the area, in the Baltic, I think this huge opportunity for further growth. When you, when you think about these businesses and how they work and operate, 70% of them collaborate in some way. Uh, whether they're buying and selling services into each other or whether they're, you know, jointly pitching for work or, you know, uh, whether they're sharing space or whatever it might be. But there's, there's, there's about 70% of the companies support each other. And I think that's, that's where the resilience comes from for the sector and where I think um, the sector can provide a lot of the solutions that we're going to need in a post-COVID world. You know, more inclusive economies more connected economies 
um, driving change so that so that wealth is shared out, you know, more equally. I think because of the nature of the way these businesses work for each other, um, I think our aims and ambitions are stated in the manifesto will will more likely be able to be delivered because of the nature of the way these organisations operate. Again, Mark, it sounds all really exciting, and, and I know that the Baltic is just alive with stuff at the moment, with things happening all around. I, I do think we're at a point where, um, you know, the city's produced its recovery plans. Um, we've got uh, culture strategies. We've got digital strategies that our partners in the city and the city region have developed. But what I do think that it is missing a little bit, and it gets lost a little bit in the culture debate, I guess, is a real focus on the value that creative and digital industries can bring. Of course, creative and digital industries are mentioned in all these documents and all these strategies. But what I don't see is a is a 10-year plan for the creative and digital sector. Uh, we know creative and digital industry businesses uh, deliver higher than average income wages for their staff, so the good jobs for the economy, good jobs for the young people of Liverpool. And I think recognising the emergence of the clusters across the Liverpool city region, a strategy that works to better connect those emerging clusters, that considers the need for more and better commercial space, that considers the need for more collaboration and connection with our educators across the Liverpool City region. I think that strategy, if if developed, would be able to be used as a huge marketing tool for our emerging clusters across the city region. Imagine we had that document, which articulated in great detail how valuable creative and digital industries are to the city region's economy. That document can be used to attract investment, um, not only from businesses who want to relocate to Liverpool because of everything that's great about the city, but also for property investment, for education investment, for all manner of investment, really. If we as a city are clearly defining the value of creative and digital industries to our economy, and we can articulate in a strategy to external investors, that value, well, then you're more likely to attract that investment. And that's, and it's that investment that will ensure these emerging clusters will be able to gain traction, establish themselves and grow. And as I said before, these industries are creating higher than average income wages for, for the people who occupy the jobs. So they're hugely valuable to the regional economy. And I think coming out of the crisis... That's where the opportunity lies, actually. There's a huge opportunity for the city region to define the clusters and develop a strategy to support them and support creative and digital industries over the next 10 years. So what you're actually saying there, Mark, is that if we get this strategy nice and clear for everybody looking at our region from the outside, then it's a real opportunity for us to lead the way. It, it is, absolutely. I think um, there's so much incredible uh, talent in this city. And when we think about the recovery over the next few years, it's that talent we need to harness. If we can define the value 
for the external investors. I think that's a huge opportunity for us to lead and for us to be seen as exemplar across the UK, actually. And of course, on a smaller scale here at Baltic Creative, the work that we've done is recognised internationally with our European partners, one of one of the exemplar projects in the European Creative Hubs Network. We can absolutely lead the way as a region. So you've touched on some of the exciting plans you've got to time with other organisations and partners across the region. Can you give me some sense of some of those projects, maybe, maybe one or two examples? Yeah, so we've, we've, we've been really busy the last six months, actually. I think um, across the region, the, the, various, the various councils are obviously recognising they need strategies and plans coming out of COVID uh, for growth. And we're working with Sefton Council, we're working with Halton Council, of course, we're working with Liverpool City Council, and we've discussed um, you know, ideas and plans with, 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 other, with other councils in the region. What's been really reassuring for me and and for us at Baltic Creative is that I think there is a recognition of the value of these industries and there is a recognition that actually, you know, following the model of uh, the the CIC here at Baltic Creative, where essentially the sector owns the assets, you know, and the profits that are generated through that company are recycled either back into the property, back into the tenant or back into the sector. That, That model of ownership and sector investment is something that our regional councils seem really interested in, actually, and, and want to work with us on, um, and work with other partners on, actually. So, it's, so, so that's really exciting. And we're looking at stuff in Southport, as I mentioned before. I think we'll launch a space, uh, if not towards the end of this year, early next year. And we'll continue to support the stuff that's happening in other parts of the region. And I would expect at some point we, we, we likely have a have space in other parts of the city region. So we talked about the kind of business residential model that you might be starting to to establish here in the Baltic, and I can fully see why that would be attractive to other partners and organisations across the region. Maybe you could just share share what that model looks like. Yeah, so of course we've done the commercial stuff here in the Baltic via the community interest company, but we're now asking ourselves a question here at Baltic Creative. You know, is it possible for us to provide not only a place for people to work, but also a place for people to live? So we've started a conversation where we're going to look at different ways in which we can deliver um, a residential arm to the organisation. Essentially, what we're saying is, is if we can deliver commercial space through a community interest company and we can provide a space for creative and digital businesses to 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 work can we provide a place for them to live and that that again is you know how will we deliver that well we're we're going to be working on that over the next 12 months but it's likely that we might do it through something called a a community land trust or a cooperative Uh, we may even become sort of a registered provider a little bit like a, a, a housing association so we, we've got a lot of work to do on that, but we do own assets here in the Baltic and there's an opportunity for us to explore that in a lot more detail. And, and that would mean not as just providing residential, of course, that, that's, not our, that's not our main ambition. Our main ambition is to provide more commercial space, um, huge amounts of demand for, for space. We're fully let at the moment, so uh, we need more space. So uh, it's us thinking about that, but also thinking about... Um, you know, a place for people to live as well. And I think what we've seen in the Baltic over recent years, of course, is 
is is developments which are you know student led, quite transient type accommodation. And what we're talking about is accommodation for people to live, you know, family accommodation, larger, greater number of bedrooms. Um, so there's, there's opportunity for us there, I think, over the next uh, year or two to explore that. And of course, we could also, if we set up that community land trust and we, and we develop a model which works, I think then there's then an opportunity for us to take that, uh, you know, across the city region. So for anyone like me who's going to be looking for where those updates are going to be coming from about your your strategy for the future, where can we keep um, where can we keep up to date on what's happening? Yeah, I'd, I'd point you to the, the the two websites. Our website at Baltic Creative CIC. Check that out. We've got a great uh, news update section in there, which Alison keeps up to date for us. So that's that's usually got most things covered. And then obviously there's the Baltic Triangle uh, area website which Russ deals with, and he's, he's keeping that up to date for us, which is which is brilliant. And then, of course, all the social channels are out there, so there's always lots of news being shared. Check um, you know check all of those out as well. And don't forget, we'll obviously try and give you some regular updates as well on the Baltic Triangle podcast. Mark, as ever, pleasure to talk to you. Um, always fascinating to hear what the, uh, the latest developments are going to be around the area. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Mark. Great to speak again. Good to hear from Mark Lawler there. And it's good to, to see companies and organisations actually looking forward to the future after this stop-start lark we've had over the past 18 months, isn't it? Certainly is. And great to see the amount of support that was given out by Baltic Creative during the, uh, the COVID pandemic. And not only that, also the plans for their well-being of, of the people that are here afterwards as well. Yeah, well, we had Phil Bridges, didn't we, from the uh, Mind Map on the podcast uh, some time ago. So that working together and supporting each other is definitely something that's been happening all over the country, no doubt. But particularly in this city, as I said, uh, from what Mark has been saying anyway, and, and, and our own experiences. Great to see that there's also plans to expand and to support and collaborate uh, going forward as well and not just here in the city centre but across the regions there's so much that we could share about why this model works here and, and 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 so much progress that can be made across the region I think. There are some cracking books set in Liverpool we've already heard from Jeff Young earlier this year he's the author of Ghost Town which got some fantastic reviews from the critics and which is actually out in paperback in October And there's another belting book out as well, The Outsiders by James Corbett. James is uh, behind Decubitin Books, which is um, based in Liverpool, and they're a leading independent publisher. And they they publish some outstanding non-fiction books, many of which have a sporting variety, um, as, as many football fans will know. But The Outsiders is James's first novel. It's taken him about 20 years to write, but my God, is it worth the wait. A lot of the action is set in Liverpool in the early 80s, just after the riots, which was obviously a very, very difficult time for the city, both economically and socially. I caught up with James recently, who explained to me about the novel. Always wanted to write a novel, and I always wanted Liverpool to be at the heart of it. Um, That was the intention from the start. And I think it's really fascinating that Liverpool's the cultural heartbeat of so many aspects of life in Britain, you know, the the music, film, football, but it's really quite underrepresented in literature. So I wanted to write the great Liverpool novel, if you like, Um, and a large part of that would be 
setting it against the backdrop of its of its really interesting and complicated modern history. Um, I call it the fall and rise. Because having grown up here in the 1980s and 1990s, I know that um, you know there wasn't a great deal here in terms of economic life, and I was of the generation that sort of had to had to leave the city in order to make my way in the world and make my career and so on. Um, but I also wanted to write about the city's renaissance since the start of this century and its reinvention as a, as a world-class um, destination. So. If you can imagine Liverpool as being this sort of very complicated and multi-layered canvas um, on which what is essentially a part love story and part historical mystery is written, that's, that's, that's the basis for the book, The Outsiders. And the main character, Paul, you must have heard this many times, but um, they say, don't they, whoever they are, that your first novel is always about you. How much of you is in Paul? Because I immediately thought... Not having done any research on it, this is this is James. This, yeah. I mean, a few of the original readers said that, and I, yeah, obviously there's aspects that have borrowed. And you know, Paul is a you know he becomes a journalist almost by accident. And my professional background is in journalism. Um, I think he is quite passive in some ways, whereas I'm not. Um, you know, he's not based on me. He's a, he's a, he's an amalgam of. Various different people that I've that I've met over the I've met a lot of war correspondents, which is, which he is. Um, some of his career mirrors Ed Vullame, who was who was a Liverpool journalist who became a war correspondent and reported on the former Yugoslavia. I don't know Ed at all. The the, the character and his characteristics are, you know, almost inevitably going to be different. But aspects of his career are borrowed from that. I think what I used um, with with the main character, Paul, was Paul goes to Cambridge University um, immediately after the Toxteth riots, and Liverpool's sort of regarded as this sort of Gomorrah, this, you know, decadent place where there's race riots and violence and the city's falling down, and people don't quite know how to deal with him. And I found that when I went to university in London, you know, people would say to me, what's it like up there? As if I... I'd come from Sarajevo or something at the height of the Bosnian War. And what I didn't tell them was that I actually had quite a nice way of living. My parents were teachers. My mum went to school with the Prime Minister's wife, Cherie Blair. Um, and it was sort of quite staid and middle class, albeit that, you know, I'd come into this big melting pot every few times every week to go to gigs or go to the football and so on. So I... I I suppose I drew upon the strangeness of, of, of coming from the city and having people who didn't really know how to deal with you because of the reputation of Liverpool, which for a long time preceded itself. I had a similar experience, and I think for, for a time, maybe a bit now, but for a time, the minute you said you were from Liverpool or people knew that, it became a subject of conversation, didn't it? A springboard for other stuff. Yeah, it did, and it's funny because I've just I've just written an article for Bido Lito magazine about this and about expat scousers because people people who weren't from the city, from the south or whatever, would view you with suspicion. You know, maybe it's a bit dodgy, or it could be fascination. You know, he's a bit dangerous. You know, let's 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 hang out with him. But other scousers would also view you with suspicion, and whether that was because you know, 
they'd left the city and they'd left quite difficult lives behind and they viewed that as part of their past. Or maybe they 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 made a play on, you know, being quite edgy and, and so on, whereas actually they might have come from Childwell or Mosty Hill, which is quite nice, and they didn't want to be found out. I don't know. <laughs> but I found in Liverpool I didn't I didn't make any friends of you know, expat scousers really. And when I did meet them, sometimes I get quite a hostile reaction. Whereas my wife is Irish. And the first thing an Irish person does when they when they go to another city is find an Irish pub and an Irish community centre and they surround themselves with the people that they've left behind. Whereas in you know, scousers seem to make their own way in Liverpool in, in, in London and elsewhere. At least in my experience anyway. And the title of the book is The Outsiders. And that if you can call that a theme that runs through so far, and I've only read 117 pages, as, as, I, as I mentioned to you, but it seems to be a recurring theme that runs through all the characters in, to a greater or lesser extent. Yeah, so there's, the, there's, there's Paul, who's, who's from an unnamed North Liverpool suburb. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Crosby, and, and the suburb that I created is sort of an amalgam of Crosby and Hightown and Formby, where you know, all my school friends came from those places. Um, I, you know, I purposely didn't make it one or other of them. Um, and he he meets um, the daughter of a of a of a poet who's sort of fallen out of fashion, um, and is from you know quite a wealthy Jewish family on the south side of Liverpool. But you know they're a minority within the city, so Paul doesn't really always find himself at home because people from different parts of the city would view him as a wool or an outsider. Um, Sarah, his girlfriend, is from uh, you know a small but historic community in Liverpool, but you know it's quite quite cut off from it. And then Nadja, her mother, is is a an emigre from after the Second World War, and has sort of found herself thrust upon the city of Liverpool. So they're all they're all finding their way. And as you mentioned, the first part of the book is set against the backdrop of the the Toxteth riots, and you know, for for someone who was brought up in suburban Liverpool, Toxteth had a reputation as being you know, Liverpool's Harlem and so on. But you never came into contact with it. You know, you might have driven through it occasionally, but coming from different parts of the city, you were never you never confronted by a particular kind of I would I, I would call it in some respects a, a kind of black poverty. And equally, people from within Toxteth, you very rarely see them in parts of the city centre. You know, Liverpool. Liverpool in the 90s was still quite a white city, but it wasn't because it had this great and vibrant community. So the character's experience of the, of the Toxteth riots is um, a sense of otherworldliness, of being, of being confronted with racial tensions and, and a certain type of poverty within Liverpool that they hadn't really known existed. And I think, I think that was possibly quite typical for a lot of people within the city. So again, it adds to this sense of them being outsiders, you know, and it asks the question, what is Liverpool? What are we all about? You know, what unites us? Uh, yes, that, uh, although I was from the south end of the city, I don't remember ever calling it Toxteth. It was kind of Liverpool 8, wasn't it? And, and it became a place after the riots on the TV, on the national TV, didn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. You know, it's a sort of construct of the media. And if you meet if you meet somebody from from Liverpool Eight or Toxteth, they will they will say Toxteth's a, a district within Liverpool Eight. You know, it could be Granby we're talking about or whatever. But it was all just 
bundled into the to the same thing. So you spend your time between Ireland, where you live a lot of the time, and and back here in Liverpool. How, how much, without this being a sort of three-hour-long answer or indeed question, how how much has it changed over the years? You're in quite a good place to see that, aren't you? You know, you come back every couple of months and you go back over there again. Yeah, I mean, I was very proud coming from Liverpool, growing up, and, and, and you know, very much of the city, but. When I left in 1998, when I was 19, to go to, to university in London, I was still of the generation where you, where you had to leave to make your own way. I wanted to work in the media, and you know, there were very few opportunities here, unless you worked for the Echo or the local radio stations. And I think, I think that's changed now. There are opportunities here to remain if you want to. You know, it's always had a very cosmopolitan history, but as I said, you know, they were very much in packets in the, you know, little pockets in the, in the city. Whereas I think um, culturally it, it's more, it's more open than it was. I was down in South Road in Waterloo just before and I was astonished to see three different Turkish restaurants and a Moroccan restaurant within about 100 metres of each other. And the idea of having Middle Eastern restaurants where I grew up in the late 90s would, would have been alien. Um, and that's just part and parcel of life. I mean, that's just a small example. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's, there's a great confidence and swagger that came from the city of culture. I know that was 13 years ago now, but it sort of reasserted Liverpool's reputation that it had lost since the 60s as being this, this, this great destination. And suddenly, from being somewhere that was sort of muttered about by by those in the south, it became a destination. We'll go up to Liverpool, we'll stay in the Hope Street Hotel, might see a match, might go to, the, might go to a concert, you know, go for a nice meal, you know, it's a great party city. So that has all, that has all completely changed since the late 90s. And it did lose its swagger, didn't it? We did lose our swagger for a while. Yeah, I think the swagger became defiance and... You know, you'll know yourself from working at Radio Merseyside in the 80s and 90s. You know, it was always, the agenda was, you know, are the European Union going to come in and save us with Objective One money? And, you know, we were being, as a city and a people, we were being hit all the time. You know, Heysel Stadium disaster created terrible perceptions about the city. And it still makes me angry now that... As a teenager, when I went on overseas trips to school, we had to say we were from St. Helens because because people feared um, the city and there'd been adverse reactions in the past when people knew we were from Liverpool. Um, but then there were things where the city was, you know, victims of terrible tragedies, such as Hillsborough, such as um, the, the the murder of Jamie Bolger, um, which is which are both alluded to in the book where the perception was that it was a, you know, we'd almost brought it on ourselves, but the narrative within the city would be, you know, how can, how can people possibly think that of us? Um, so I think it was defiance and, you know, fighting it off, you know, fighting off these misconceptions when I was growing up. And yeah, as you say, we have got the swagger back since then. We're on the front foot again. And do you feel that today? As, as I mentioned before, you spend half your time at your house in Ireland and then you're 
yeah. you know, you work from here quite a lot of the time. So would you say that that's back now? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's quite strange being an English person in Ireland um, because obviously there's very negative perceptions about Englishness and so on um, that are embodied by people like Boris Johnson, you know, who's the everybody's sort of favourite caricature of what an Englishman is like. I don't know anyone like, Bobby, like Boris Johnson, and I'm sure most people don't. So people ask where I'm from. You know, I'm from Liverpool first. I'm British, I'm European, and then I'm English, last of all. And, yeah, it's always, I'm from Liverpool. And there's, and there's a... I think, I, think, I think people get that. They get that you're different. Um, I always say that, you know... We look out facing the world and we turn our backs to the rest of the country. Um, and I think, I think people have started to understand that. How long has the novel been kind of cooking inside you, James? Because for years I always thought, why aren't there any great novels about Liverpool coming out? And over the past six months, I'm reading yours now and I read another very good one. And we featured the author a couple of months ago, actually, Ghost Town by Jeff Young. I don't know whether you know that one. Yeah. Um, and it's great to have two in half a year, you know. It's... Yeah, so the gestation of the novel, I suppose, came when I was at university. And I suppose like a lot of journalists and people in publishing, I'm, I've always been a frustrated novelist. And a very, very tiny bit of the book I wrote when I was at university. And oh. it actually forms the introduction. And I showed it to a girl I knew at university and she was somehow impressed by it enough to go out with me. And we've now been married for 18 years. <laughs> so that, that, that will tell you something about how long, how long it was. And when we had our first child, um, I, I took care of him for three days a week. He went into nursery two days and I wasn't really working as a journalist at the time. And I had this very noble idea that, you know, he'd sleep in the pram in the corner and I'd... I'd that, put out all this brilliant prose. And I did put out some prose, I don't think much of it was brilliant, but I had about 100,000 words and very little of it I kept, but I created one really good character, Nadja, this, this poet who's very elusive, has come over from Germany, she's a Holocaust survivor, but she doesn't talk about it, she's come over from Germany after the war and is married into a wealthy family in Liverpool and, you know, is very bohemian and eccentric and um, it's sort of an unreliable narrator about her own past. So I had this character and I had this idea that it would be set against the backdrop of Liverpool's history and, you know, it worked away a bit at a time and I sort of had this huge computer file and reams of notes. What I did three summers ago in 2018, I took it all away on holiday, having hacked away at it. And I had 15 chapters and I was quite excited by it. I was, I was like, some of this is really good. It's not a novel. It's part of a novel. But what I did during that summer holiday was I set out a plan because I've written plenty of nonfiction books before. And it, it is just all about planning. And I gave myself 18 months to write it. I took 21 Finished it on the 29th of May last year. It was published on the 31st of May this year. Um, so you could say, you know, one answer is 20 years. One answer is two years. I know your name mainly from the publishing company, Decubitin, and also the work you've done as a sports journalist. Yeah. And it's, it's a massive leap. Yes, it is. 
Responsibility is still the same, and that's to tell the truth. As a journalist, your first, your first priority is to tell the truth, and my responsibility here as a novelist is to tell the truth about these people's fictitious lives, but uh, fictitious lives, but also about the life of the city. Um, and it's, you know, it's quite a, quite a responsibility and a burden in many ways. When I showed it to my dad last year, my dad is a blue badge guide, so knows the, knows the city like the back of his hand. And he was like, it's very good, but there was this passage where, you know, they take a turn up, Princess, up by Princess Park and, you know, it's the wrong road. You wouldn't go that way, you'd go the other way. And I'm sure I'm going to get things like that. Um, Did you change you when he said that? I made it a bit more vague. <laughs> <laughs> because it is, it, I must say, it's great to read about places that you, that you know. You just feel the impact when you're reading it, when you know the places, don't you? Yes. Um, yeah, it's nice to, nice to write about places you know as well, instead of, instead of trying to imagine them. And pretty much all the places in the book I've, I've been and worked, you know, there's a section that's based in the Middle East. I've been lucky enough to report from the Middle East. And one of the proudest moments of my career was getting a freelancing gig for The Guardian in Palestine, which was, which was uh, phenomenal. And, you know, there's, there's, there's little elements of that that I draw on uh, within the book. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's good for you as a reader, good for me as a writer. Are you planning more fiction? Yeah, let's see how this goes. I mean, I've got a couple of ideas for novels, which I'm not going to tell you about. Um, I'm going to do another non-fiction book before then. I'm, I'm working on something now that's quite close to completion. Um, I need to do a bit of travelling once once I'm allowed properly. And then I'll look at my look at my options. But yeah, I mean, it's a great, great pleasure writing about these things. And if people like it, then I'll do it. Great to see yet another book coming out based in the city, Mick. Apologies to anyone that's written any, but the the novels that I've read recently set in Liverpool were not great. But Ghost Town and The Outsiders have got fantastic reviews from the national critics, not just local people, and they're both well worth reading. And, And there's another book out about Liverpool called The Angels of L19 and I was reading a review of that in The Guardian last week so to have three top top fiction books is a belter and I'm, I'm really I'm really made up about that and I, I haven't read The Angels of L19 but I've read both Ghost Town by Jeff Young and The Outsiders by James Corbett and they're both well worth reading. Mick, you forgot to mention The Monkey With No Bum by Asa Murphy, uh, available from all good booksellers locally. Um, You know, again, fantastic to see how well that's doing. Yeah, well, I mean, the kids' books as well. The Monkey With No Bum, I sent a copy of that um, to my niece, who's five, and I spoke to me... um, my brother-in-law, and he said she absolutely loves it, straight up, and she ha- he has to read it to her now every night, so Aza's got a lot to answer for, hasn't he? And, and we've also had Natalie Reeves-Billing, who you interviewed last year. So maybe, um, I mean, James's novel took kind of 20 years for him to write, but maybe the lockdown has inspired people to write. I know that was certainly the case with Aza. And Natalie Reeves Billing has written lots of books over the past years for kids. So, so maybe there'll be more coming out as well. Who knows? I know for a fact that Natalie's working on uh, some really exciting projects at the moment with regards to literacy. So uh, watch this space uh, and keep an eye out for her on social media. 
there seems to have been quite a lot of reminiscing at the moment about the time of, of when the riots were happening, Mick, as well. So it's quite an opportune moment for uh, this book to be coming out. Yeah, I suppose it's the 30th anniversary of the riots, isn't it? So, you know, um, and they're now calling it the Liverpool Uprising rather than the Toxteth Riots, which is what they... The national media branded it for a couple of years. So, yeah, yeah, I, I take your point there. So let's hear about our friends at Baltic Broadband again, Mick. Yeah, Baltic Broadband Limited, uh, a business-only network. As I said a couple of minutes ago, upload speed and download speeds are the same with Baltic Broadband. They've got a range also now of home worker packages. They've got a 24-7 customer service. They're based in Liverpool and they provide ultra-fast internet to businesses. If you're interested in finding out more, go onto the Baltic Broadband website and get in touch with them because it really is worth it. And a big thanks to them for supporting us as they do every month with this Baltic Triangle podcast. So that's almost it from us for this episode. Um, don't forget, if you do have any ideas or stories, the address to contact us on is info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. That's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. Yeah, so uh, look forward to um, another podcast next month. And in the meantime, look after yourselves and continue to bounce back. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll speak to you again very soon.